Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Mr. Birdman's Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Mr. Birdman here, and today we're going to be talking about the 1993 comedy, The Sandlot, um, for two reasons. One, as of this week, the film will be celebrating its 30th anniversary, and the second is that it is coinciding with opening day. Uh, As of this recording, baseball has been back for about a week, um, and we are well underway into the 2023 season. So with that said, let's go ahead and uh, discuss The Sandlot. Now, the plot of this film is that it does take place in the early 1960s, and fifth grader Scotty Smalls has just moved into town with his folks, um, but he's not exactly uh, fitting in, you would say. Kids call him a dork. He can't even throw a, a baseball. Uh, but that changes when the leader of the neighborhood gang recruits him to play on the nearby Sandlot Field. It's the beginning of a magical summer of baseball, wild adventures, first kisses, and fearsome confrontations with the dreaded beast and its owner who live behind the left field fence. Soon, nine boys have become best friends, and Scotty is part of a team, and their leader has become a local legend in this hilarious and heartwarming comedy. Uh, The film itself was uh, co-written by David Mickey Evans and Robert Gunter, and directed by David Mickey Evans himself. Now, this uh, particular uh, storyline was inspired by real-life events that occurred in David's life um, when him and his younger brother were, were younger, they much like Scotty Smalls, they had actually moved into a new neighborhood and they were picked on by the local bullies. They didn't exactly fit in. One day, as the story goes, the bullies themselves were playing baseball and the ball went over the fence. David's younger brother decided to jump the fence and get the baseball, hoping to win, um, I guess you could say, the affection and respect of the bullies. However, unfortunately, David's younger brother was bitten heavily heavily by by the dog in order to retrieve this baseball and the kids ended up laughing uh and that was definitely a moment that david mickey evans himself really didn't forget and it really affected him a lot um and in, in order for him to cope with that particular life event he decided to turn those bullies in a sense into heroes and modeling them into the kids that we do see in the film the sandlot uh, when this film first came out, it was a minor hit at the box office. Um, I believe it only grossed around thirty-four or thirty-five million dollars. Um, but in the eyes of critic of critics, it was seen as a box office failure. Um, and doing research and rewatching this movie, I was very surprised that when this film first came out, there there were definitely a lot more mixed reviews. Uh, on this film, except for the late great Roger Ebert, um, he gave he gave it a po- a positive review, and he thought that it was very good. Um, however, a lot of critics just dismissed it as overly formulaic and too nostalgic. They thought that it was just like a very generic story. Um, but for myself, this was definitely my introduction to the game of baseball, and and how much exciting of a sport that that can really be. Um, so in the film, we're introduced to Scott Smalls. Uh, he is the new kid in the neighborhood, per se. Uh, he's very smart, but at the same time, he is very socially awkward. Uh, to paraphrase uh, his character in the film or the narration, he was from another state, and he didn't have a single friend in a thousand miles. Um, and he usually spent spends a lot of time in his room playing with like the... 
uh, his his erector set that he usually has. Um, he has a new stepdad, um, but he doesn't really know how to approach him. Um, there are some times where he does call him dad, but also at the same time, like he calls him by his first name, whose name is Bill. Um, one day he follows the kids uh, to the local sandlot. However, it does not go very well. Uh, he misses a a foul ball and he can barely throw the ball back to the kids uh, when they ask him to throw it back. Um, and he's even like talking to himself, telling him to like, don't screw up and don't be a goofus and things like that. Um, I had actually forgotten because it had been quite a while since I had watched this movie um, prior to do review, reviewing this uh, f- for this episode. The last time that I had watched the Sandlot was probably about maybe 10 years ago. Um, I had actually forgotten that Karen Allen, um, Marion from Indi- the Indiana Jones franchise, uh, had played Smalls' mom, and she even actually encourages her son to make friends and, to paraphrase her character in the film, run around, scrape your knees, get dirty, climb trees, hop fences, get into trouble for crying out loud. Not too much, but some. Uh, Dennis Leary uh, plays Bill, um, Smalls, uh, Scotty's new stepdad, um, and there are cer- uh, certain scenes, like in the beginning, where he, do- or where he, where where Scott's basically asking him, you know, to teach him to play catch, and Bill, like, while you can tell that, like, he wants to, um, he's not really quite sure how to approach um, Sc- Scotty himself um, during the scene in which. Um, Scotty and Bill are attempting to play catch. I, I did notice that Bill was very patient with him and doesn't even get him and doesn't get mad, even like when he rolls the ball or even just hands the bu- uh, the ball back to him. Um, there is no way that that probably would not happen in real life. I don't know. I could be wrong, um, but in the end, Scotty does get a black eye due to attempting to play catch. Interesting trivia, though. Um, the glove that they were actually giving Dennis Leary to use for that scene was actually a Mickey Mantle glove. And anybody who knows Dennis Leary's Dennis Leary's background is that he is from Massachusetts and he is a big diehard Boston Red Sox fan. And before they shot that scene, uh, Dennis refused to wear that glove. I mean, Mickey Mantle, legendary player for the New York Yankees. Anybody who knows the history of baseball, Red Sox and the Yankees, it's the biggest rivalry in baseball. Um, And there was no way that Dennis Leary was going to wear a glove that even had the name of a player from the New York Yankees. I mean, that's just definitely not not going to happen. Um, Definitely goes to show, like, you know, how territorial and how passionate of a fan Dennis Leary was. So after that disastrous fiasco of... Bill trying to teach Scotty how to play, how to play catch. Benny, the Jet Rodriguez, does ask Scotty uh, to play baseball with them. And one thing that I really do like about the character of Benny, the Jet Rodriguez, is that he's very patient, and he's obviously the best athlete amongst all the other kids. Um, and he is, in a sense, the coolest player on the team. But he doesn't act like it. Like, you know, he doesn't have, like, a giant ego. Um, He doesn't think very highly of himself. He just sees himself as one of the guys. Um, And that's a really good thing that I like about this movie is that 
while the rest of the guys on the team, you know, Ham, Squints, Bertram, uh, Danunez, Timmy, and Tommy, uh, and yeah, yeah, you know, all of those guys think that Smalls is a lost cause and that, you know, he can't play baseball. Um, Benny still has faith, uh, in the fact that Scotty can can play baseball, even when Smalls himself wants to wants to give up, um, and that scene where Benny uh, Benny hits a ball and then Small catches it for the first time, it's certainly a powerful moment, and it proves like all the kids wrong. You know, it it, it basically like you know the kids accept Smalls as as one of them, uh, as one of their own, and. And it's a really heartwarming and touching scenes and like, you know, all those jokes and, you know, jibes that they made at Smalls, you know, it it just immediately disappeared. Um, One of the great things that's awesome about the movie The Sandlot is that all the kids, uh, they all have chemistry with each other and they all get along with each other. Um, There's not a single character amongst those nine nine boys. Um, none, None of them get underdeveloped or overused. Um, because in a, in an ensemble cast like this, in other in other movies, there's always that one character that's given the least to do, or really doesn't have a whole lot to say. Um, but when you but in rewatching this movie, because um, I watched it a couple of times in prepping for this one, uh, all all of the kids you know feel like that you know they they are given their due, and each one of them has like their own own lines and. Like you could just tell that they were just having a fun time making this movie, and that fun really transcended uh, onto the audience. Uh, next, we learn uh, about this local urban legend uh, known as the Beast. So, whenever one of the kids, like you know, hits a baseball and it goes past a fence, um, the the unanimous decision is that the ball is gone forever. They have to get a new one and just move on. Um, as a kid uh, who who grew up in a city neighborhood. Um, when it comes to urban legends, there's always that one house that every kid steered from, whether it was a, a bad thing that once happened or, you know, th- there's a house that whether the house itself usually has like, you know, something bad attached to it, or it's the one house that has never really been kept up to date, uh, on the maintenance. Um, like the grass is really tall. Like you can tell that like it hasn't had a, a paint job in at least the, the last decade. Um, and you can tell that somebody bad lives there or, or, or somebody that like nobody just wants to be bothered with. Uh, but before that urban legend scene, uh, we are introduced um, to how s'mores get made. Thanks to ham played by Patrick Renna. And, in that scene, we are introduced to the most famous line of the film, which is, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Um, that, as a kid, that was probably one of the easily, you know, the top uh, movie kid quote that was set on the playground, or easily the top five. Uh, anytime you see, like, any merchandise, particularly the t-shirts, that line is like the most quoted or it's always on like all the shirts. It's you're killing me smalls. Um, even to this uh, day, a day and age, like, you know, that still gets uh, dropped e- even at my current work. Um, and it's put on all the shirts. However, there is one shirt that I've seen uh, like on Amazon and Spencer's and Hot Topic that always kind of bothered me. And it's a black and white photo uh, of Ham with that quote that says, you're killing me smalls. I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, that particular black and white 
uh, photo, it it makes Ham look like a serial killer. Like it just looks really creepy and disturbing. Um, with everything coming back as being like dark and, and gritty, can you imagine if like the Sandlot had a dark reboot and like Ham was like the serial killer? You're killing me, Smalls. Ah, so. Um, so after learning about the urban legends there, uh, we, what, what else do 11, 12 year, 12 year olds like first crushes. And that comes in the form of Wendy Peppercorn. Now, originally when this film was being made, none of the kid actors knew what Wendy Peppercorn looked like, um, played masterfully by Marley Shelton, very underrated actress, by the way. Um, so that scene where Squints and Yaya are coming out of the drugstore with a new baseball and Squints sees Wendy for the first time, that was an actual genuine reaction. And like, it, it wasn't scripted. Um, they, the kids just didn't know that, you know, who was going to be playing Wendy. And sure enough, it was Marley Shelton. However, there is definitely a shot that certainly would not fly today. And it's the shot where, you know, it's her, I'm just going to be honest, it's her butt um, as she's walking away. And that is a shot that would definitely not fly today, would be made um, in today's movie environment. Uh, next, we move on to the pull scene in which uh, Squints, in order to get Wendy's attention, decides to go and jump off the deep end. And when he's standing on the diving board, uh, he's really shivering. And that's because the day that they actually shot that film, the the set was really that cold because um, they didn't film it in Los Angeles. It was actually filmed uh, outside of Salt Lake City uh, during the summer, during the summer of 92. And depending on what time of day that they shot it, this was like around the mid sixties. So I don't know about y'all. Like, you know, if y'all have gone swimming, especially when it's like cooler or, or below 80 degrees. Yes, it gets, yeah, it, it feels much, much colder. So as expected, he squints, pretends to drown so that way he can attempt to kiss, um, Wendy Peppercorn, she calls him a little pervert, and then one of the kids goes, oh, man, he's a deep shit. Uh, I just remember the first time <laughs> uh, qu- quoting that line, and my grandma heard the word shit, and I'm like, what? I'm just quoting the Sandlot. And my grandma's like, oh, okay. And she's like, oh, okay, Josh, whatever, but don't say shit again. Um, <laughs> oh, good time. Yeah, good, good, time, good times with that scene. Um, another thing that's really cool about this movie is the night game that takes place on the 4th of July. It's so patriotic. I mean, you know, baseball, fireworks, food. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's not really in your, it really doesn't shove it in your face. Um, there's even been some talk about how the Sandlot is seen as like the most American film that's ever made. And I've always been curious as to why. And in rewatching this film, I can definitely see why. Just because you have a group of kids, um, you know, I'm sure they all come from like different. They they all come from different backgrounds. Um, and aside from Smalls's home life, we really don't know, like you know, what kind of economic background these kids come from. You know, we don't know if like they're rich. We don't know if they're poor. Uh, we don't know if they're if if any of them come from divorced homes or not. Um, we don't know about any of the struggles. Um, but the fact that like, you know, they're all able to come together and they have this one common interest that brings them together, which they all know how to play baseball. Um, 
and they and they just all enjoy each other's company. I mean, yeah, you know, they can make it, you know, jabs at each other here and there, um, but they all come from different backgrounds of life, you know, just to play like a simple game. And, and I think that's why you know, this movie sticks around with other people. It's it's for scenes like that. Um, after the Fourth of July game, we get an insult scene with uh, the rival team, the Little Leaguers. Uh, originally in the script, it was going to be Benny that was throwing the insults, um, but halfway through shooting, they decided that that really wasn't a good idea. So they decided to have Ham again, Patrick Renna, um, you know, say all the lines. You know, watch it, jerk! Shut up, idiot! Moron! Scab eater! Butt sniffer! Puss licker! Fart smeller! Yep. Ah, uh, uh, it's a darn, it's a darn, darn good scene right there. And then they decide to have a rival game. Now, in other kids' sports movies, when it comes to like rival games between, like you know, the underdog team and the team that's like obviously, um, you know, like much more put together in a sense, <clears throat> where they have like the most fancier uniforms. You know, they have like intense training. That would actually be the climax of the film, um, or the rival team would have like you know a coach that's like really like batshit crazy. I'm just gonna be honest. Um, as expected, the Sandlot kids beat the crap out of those guys. Like it's not even close. Which leads to probably my favorite scene in the film. The carnival scene where all the kids decided to have some big chief chewing tobacco before they get on, I guess, it's a roller coaster, the Trabant. And as it's going on, the Sun Tequila is playing. And needless to say, the combination of the roller coaster and chewing tobacco does not go very well. And they all vomit all over each other and some of the other people. Now, the mixture of the vomit, it combined of oatmeal baked beans, and other assorted food-flavoring combinations there. Um, but yeah, it's probably my favorite scene. It definitely makes me the laugh the hardest, especially like with all the all the guys' like reactions. You know, it's like they want to throw up, and like they think Bertram has like the funniest one. <laughs> uh, honestly, it looks like he's taking a dump. I mean, rather than one to vomit, but that's just me. Um, so after the carnival scene, uh, to me is when the actual plot of the film really starts to, to take off. Um, and this film like actually is to me, it's not very long. It's only about 101 minutes. And I actually thought that it moved by extremely quickly. And I don't know about y'all, like, you know, whenever you've seen a film so many times, you notice how like the film, like, you know, tends to go like a little bit more faster. Um, but with me, I hadn't seen the film in about a decade and I honestly thought the film was moved at like a very brisk pace. Like, you know, there was, there really wasn't a scene that really dragged, um, or, or nothing that slowed it down. Um, but anyway, with the main plot being beginning is that, uh, due to an omen with Benny busting the guts out of the baseball, Smalls decides to swipe, uh, one of his, uh, stepdad's, uh, baseballs, uh, un- in his trophy room, unaware that it's autographed by the great one known as Babe Ruth. Uh, Smalls hits the home run ball and freaks out. Um, and with this particular scene with Smalls telling the guys, you know, who autographed the ball and the kids confronting Smalls about it, this is a confrontation scene that has even been parodied by a couple of major league teams, uh, most notably the, the New York Yankees 
and the Milwaukee Brewers. Smalls, you mean to tell me that you swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth and you brought it out here and actually played with it? And actually played with it? Yeah, but but I was going to bring it back, but it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, you keep telling me that. Who is she? What? What? The Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Kraut. Babe Ruth. The Great Bambino. Oh my god, you mean that's the same guy? Yes. And and as they were talking about the importance of Babe Ruth, I especially uh since you know baseball is so important, I think a lot of people have forgotten just how important and how iconic Babe Ruth was to the game of baseball. Um because as Babe Ruth was starting to come into his own, yes, he was already an all-star uh, with the Boston Red Sox, he actually started out as a pitcher. That was something I didn't know up until like a few years ago. Um, but when Babe Ruth was, of course, traded to the Yankees and started that Curse of the Bambino with the Red Sox, praise God that that's over and done with. Um, but when Babe Ruth went to the New York Yankees and became like this monstrous all-star and you know started the New York Yankees dynasty... I think a lot of people forget just how much he was important to the game. The reason I say that is because right around the time that Babe Ruth got traded to the Yankees, um, we had the Black Sox scandal where, you know, members of the Chicago White Sox um, threw the world, the 1919 World Series and were convicted and banned from baseball. And that really, you know, put, put a sour or dampened the game of baseball. And having a legend by Babe Ruth himself, um, you know, just being such an icon and, as Benny put it, the greatest baseball player that ever lived. Uh, you know, some people said he was less than a god but more than a man like Hercules. Um, I think he helped rejuvenate um, the popularity of baseball. And and ever since then, I, I don't really know. I mean, yes, we've had, you know, some excellent players. Uh, but I think, like, he was the one that basically put – the game of baseball like on the map and made it a popular sport. Um, there, there's only like a couple of handful of players that I think that really have left the mark. I mean, other players, obviously Jackie Robinson um, breaking the color barrier in 1947. And then uh, Henry Hank Aaron, um, a few years, uh, you know, breaking Babe Ruth's record even gets a, a mention here in the Sandlot. Those are the only two players that I can think of just off the top of my head right now um, that had definitely have left their mark on the game of baseball. So, but anyway, back to the movie. Uh, so trying to get the ball back from the beast as, as he's mentioned um, and you know, the kids view the beast as like this big, angry, hungry monster, like the, you know, like a movie monster, basically, and they they have like five ideas to try and get this ball from the fence. And I gotta say though, um, these ideas are pretty clever as they go on. The first is that they just use like a stick to try and uh, move the ball back underneath the fence. They second they use like an oven that's attached to the stick. Uh, they had they use like you know three vacuums to try and suck it up. The the vacuum one was actually probably my favorite. Um, Next, they try to use yeah yeah to you know or lower him down to pick up the ball. They use the erector sec to like kind of catapult it. Um, but the one that definitely made me laugh the hardest was the vacuum one. 
um, because with the vacuum, <laughs> the beast bites into the vacuum, and he. <laughs> Uh, and, and the vacuums like get clogged and all, and like all the kids are like jumping out of the treehouse. Like that must've been like a really fun, fun day setting of shooting. Um, but I gotta say though, like those vacuums, especially back in the early 1960s, they were probably not expensive. So I'm like, how did they get the vacuums out of the house? Like without their parents knowing, um, after those ideas, you know, immediately fail miserably, uh, Benny the Jet, he does have a dream, and he gets motivation from um, the babe himself, which basically tells him, you know, every everybody gets one chance to do something great. Most people either don't do it because they're too scared or they can't recognize it when the spit shines on their shoes. Um, and Babe Ruth tells him, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. Benny decides to jump the fence, and he comes face-to-face with the beast himself to get the ball. Um, and it's just amazing. And it just goes to show how much of a great character uh, that Benny was. Um, and the fact that uh, David Mickey Evans made him made him the lead, uh, made Benny the lead um, as um, Hispanic, um, because in that story that I had mentioned, um, a, a lot of the kids that you know, laughed at David Mickey Evans and his brother um, were from a his, uh, Hispanic background, or as he has mentioned in interviews, a uh, Chicano, um, and and he made and he made him this leader. So I don't really know it, um, you know, how much of a big impact that ben, uh, that Benny had, uh, but the fact that he was the leader um, definitely. Was uh, was quite amazing, and and he's just a very iconic character, and that you know he was able to you know decide to you know take take that take the beast on, and the way that like they stare at each other, it's a classic confrontation scene, uh, almost like a kid's version of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Benny does get the ball and jumps back on the opposite side of the fence, uh, but that's not the end though, as the beast continues to chase Benny throughout town to try and get the ball back, and the other kids decide to follow him. Uh, Benny does eventually pickle the beast, um, and yeah, that's another thing that I <laughs> that I forgot to that I forgot to mention. Uh, the term pickle or uh, the biggest pickle uh, gets referenced like three times uh, throughout throughout the film by narration. Got us all into the biggest pickle. Got us all into the biggest pickle. I don't recommend doing a drinking game uh, to every time they say pickle. It, it, it's it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I've never done that, but. So anyway, Benny pickles the beast, um, and uh, they decide to return him back to his owner, who's named Mr. Myrtle, played by the legendary great James Earl Jones. And turns out he's not actually a mean guy. He's actually pretty nice. Uh, he's he, he's just lonely, and he lives by himself. All that he has is just him and his dog, uh, Hercules. Uh, turns out Mr. Myrtle was a former ball player who new Babe Ruth himself and he's like a baseball aficionado um, who has a lot of memorabilia and merchandise and of course stories to talk about baseball. It's so ironic that because James Earl Jones um, you know, was two iconic baseball films The Sandlot and Field of Dreams and I've had friends tell me that like James Earl Jones doesn't even like baseball in real life so I just f- find that kind of interesting there. So Smalls confesses, and he tells his uh, stepdad that 
you know, he swiped the Babe Ruth autograph ball, but Mr. Myrtle offers him something else in return. Um, yes, uh, the stepdad was pretty upset. I mean, knowing Darren this Leary, if that happened to him in real life, I'm sure he probably would have dropped probably about 30 to maybe 40 F-bombs in the span of three minutes. Um, but all is well in the end. Um, him and his stepdad make peace. Um, and all the kids end up going on different paths in life. Um, Smalls himself becomes a broadcaster, and Benny becomes a player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the final shot is a photo of all the kids hanging out at the Sandlot. Now, the reason that this movie really uh, stuck with me, and another reason that I wanted to review this, not only because you know, two reasons, not only because I love baseball, it's perhaps my favorite sport. Um, you know, the film is celebrating 30 years, uh, this year, um, uh, April 7th is going to be the 30th anniversary. Um, but I wanted to add, you know, just a little bit, you know, to close this out, I wanted to add, you know, a little bit of a personal journey with this movie. Um, so for those who may be thinking that this is like, you know, a like a pity story or think that I'm like super depressed or anything like that. Trust me, this is not the case on both counts. This is just something that, um, I came across like while I was, you know, coming up with these notes and rewatching this movie. All right. So here we go. When I was a kid, when I was much younger, um, I really wasn't the most athletic kid. Um, in fact, like, you know, anytime, like, you know, athletics came up, I usually try to avoid it. Um, I was really like an impatient kid, so to speak. Um, whereas like my younger sister and a lot of my cousins were into athletics, whether it was baseball, football, or basketball. So because I wasn't athletic, um, for a long time, I had always felt like a failure, uh, a failure. Like I always felt that like, you know, I was like less than, you know, less, you know, of a person because I was not involved in athletics. Um, so definitely a lot of, um, a lot of insecurities ca- came about that. Um, and I think the reason that the Sandlot has stuck with me uh, for a long time is because it was the first film that I remember watching with my cousins, especially. Um, and it was like the first movie that we all bonded over. Um, where when we watched the Sandlot together, you know, it n- none of that, you know, being involved in athletics didn't really matter. Uh, we were just enjoying the movie and just having a good time and laughing in a, at all the right scenes. And, the Sandlot was definitely the first movie to help me realize that like, okay, this is a movie that can bring other people together. Um, you know, and, and that everybody can watch it and have a good time. Um, it was also the first movie that I remember watching with my grandmother that wasn't a cartoon. Uh, same with, uh, same with my, my grandfather whom I mentioned in the, uh, it's a wonderful life review. Um, and I think it made them feel pretty good. They were probably also relieved that it wasn't a cartoon, um, cause they were probably getting tired of those, even though they had like, you know, those cartoon movies with us. Um, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The Sandlot was definitely a film that definitely helped childhood be just sh- shine a little brighter. Um, 
Yeah, because I'll be honest, watching those first 20 minutes, uh, up until, you know, Smalls becomes one of the guys, it, it definitely was definitely was hard, um, hard, hard, harder to watch uh, than, than I had realized. Um, but, like, once that scene comes, you know, where Smalls catches that ball for the first time, I mean, I was that kid. Um, I was that kid who, you know, just wa- wanted to have, like, you know, just that one shining moment and be accepted by um, my cousins and and things like that. Um, so, yeah, and I think the Sandlot definitely – um, bridge that gap um, and brought us closer as kids. Um, and, and and I got to thank David Mickey Evans and the rest of the cat and, you know, all the people who made the Sandlot. Thank you. Thank you for making this movie. Thank you very much for, you know, helping childhood or my childhood be a, a, a little bit happier. Um, yeah. It's definitely a movie that I will always love. Um, I, I didn't want to go into this film thinking like, oh, you know, what are what are the flaws of this movie? Like, you know, how how can I like diss it? You know, there's got to be something in it that's that doesn't hold up very well, or it's bad, or or, or it's bad, or whatever. No, the the Sandlot uh, is is not that movie, um, and and I think this is a film that trends generations. I mean, yeah, like this film was set in the 1960s, but when I was watching, but in rewatching the Sandlot and even watching it as a kid, I really wasn't so concerned about what decade that it was set in. Um, I mean, you take away the 1960s aspect of it, and this is a film that could easily be made today. Um, I mean, you know, like, you know, with a bunch of kids just getting together and playing baseball and, and having adventures. I mean, what kid wouldn't want that? Um, but yeah, uh, those are my thoughts on the Sandlot. Uh, and again, you know, I just wanted to share that little tidbit of what the Sandlot means to me. Um, again, I don't want anybody to think that like I'm like you know depressed or sad or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it just helped me get through you know those sad moments in childhood. But in God's good grace, you know, all of that, I have been making peace with it. And, you know, and I'm very grateful for this movie. So those are my uh, thoughts on The Sandlot. Um, This is Mr. Birdman signing out. And in the words of Ham, play ball!